Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm David Crabtree. And I'm Catherine Brown. It is not just pressure from Washington. Protests here in Raleigh and throughout the state. The Reopen Group plan, uh, Reopen NC plans statewide marches on this Memorial Day, protesting the restrictions still in place under the Phase 2 opening guidelines. State officials did not have a formal briefing today. However, we can tell you they estimate nearly 15,000 people have now recovered in North Carolina. That's up more than 33% from last week's estimate. We do have more than 24,000 confirmed cases since the outbreak began. 778 people have died. Early morning today, a pair of tweets aimed at North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper set off a day of rapid responses from both Democrats and Republicans. President Trump threatening to pull the Republican convention out of Charlotte if Roy Cooper did not give the RNC a definite yes on holding the convention with people in full attendance. And so I think that it's unrealistic for the president or anybody to expect Governor Cooper, uh, our state or county health directors, to be able to guarantee anything about what three months from now looks like. A Charlotte City Councilman, just one of the voices we've heard from. We are also hearing reaction from the mayor there, the governor and the RNC. More from them and a larger discussion about whether all of this might even be possible and the political tones of this act coming up in about 10 minutes. I'm Mark Boyle in the Live Center tonight. Graduating now is looking a lot different than what it was leading up to things with the coronavirus. Now Cumberland County announcing some major revisions to its graduation plan, announcing that stu uh, students, seniors, will be able to walk across the stage. So what is that going to look like? Well, it's going to be a lot smaller groups than normal. I highlighted some of the areas in yellow to that summarizes the changes here. This re revised graduation plan allows graduating seniors the chance to walk across the stage. They will be wearing face masks or face coverings, and that'll be worn by everyone in attending uh, in attendance there. Now, again, it's going to happen in shifts and in small groups, so it's not going to be the entire graduating class all there at once. But hey, this is moving in the right direction for those who wanted to walk across the stage for that once in a lifetime opportunity. Back to you. Mark, thank you. The holiday weekend marked the first time in two months restaurants in this state could welcome diners inside again. For many, phase two reopening at 50% capacity doesn't yet make sense from a safety or economic perspective. With more of an explanation, here's WREL's Cullen Browder. This is The Pit. It's a popular barbecue restaurant on West Davie Street here in downtown Raleigh. Takeout and delivery are thriving, but despite permission to reopen the dining room here, at least partially, the owner of this restaurant and others has chosen not to, at least not yet. It turns out some owners, employees, even customers prefer to wait. Reopening restaurants to seated diners in a pandemic is no easy call. And for that reason, many popular eateries are taking a more measured approach. What are you really waiting on? We look at this as a marathon. It's not a sprint. We're going to be doing this for quite some time. And we want to make sure, just like when we open any restaurant, we open it the right way. Greg Hatem is founder of Empire Eats, which operates nine triangle restaurants, including the Raleigh Times and the Pit. He wants to protect the growing popularity of takeout and delivery while carefully preparing for seated diners again. A year ago, if you went to a restaurant where they were wearing masks, would you go in? I wouldn't. 
now I'm very appreciative of the fact they're doing that. So it's a it's a whole other set of, of training. Um, our goal is to provide the safest environment for both our staff and um, our guests. Uh, and right now at this point, we don't feel comfortable welcoming people into the dining rooms. Trophy Brewing co-owner Chris Power says his customers backed that cautious approach in a recent newsletter poll. And so far, bringing back seated diners doesn't yet add up. And at 50% occupancy, the numbers don't make sense. Um, but what we're thinking about more so is the, the capacity for safety. Some servers worry about safety and the impact of reduced capacity on their bottom line. This one, laid off from another local restaurant, spoke to us anonymously. It's not that I don't want to go back to work. I'd love to go back to work, but I need I need to know that I am safe and that you know people coming into the restaurant are safe. Aside from the exposure to the virus, you know, as a server, we depend on crowds and restaurants in order to make tips. Greg Hatem says he is going to gradually reopen seated dining at his restaurants, beginning with the pit next week. He'll see how that goes, and then they'll go to the next restaurant from there. Hatem says when it comes to customers, they share in the personal responsibility to keep everyone safe. He says those customers who just want to go out and do anything they want need to do so alone. Cullen Browder, WREL News, Raleigh. Well, the unofficial start of summer usually means the peak of wedding season and celebrating with loved ones. We've shown you plenty of celebrations over the past few months, like this Raleigh couple who, uh, the Bradshaws, they had to push their big day back but celebrated at a distance with a surprise reception on what would have been their wedding day. WRAL's Leslie Moreno joins us now live in Chapel Hill with how coronavirus is impacting vendors and how they're adapting. Some interesting tactics here, Leslie. Hey, Catherine, here at the parlor, they are busy. Despite the pandemic, the owner tells me couples are still getting married. The only difference now is they're pushing back the reception date until it's a bit safer. Love big, but celebrate small. That seems to be the theme lately. This time makes us realize what's really important and who the important people are. I think that people are kind of raising the bar, so to speak, as to who really needs to be with them for the special moment. Like Max Fenske and Leah Zagorin, who had their wedding planned for May 24th, but decided to push it back to August 1st. Both of us are from the West Coast, and so a lot of our family and close friends are out there, and so we wanted to wait until we could you know, safely get some of those people out here. An emotional roller coaster for many couples who had to cancel a very special day. Honestly, once we kind of switched gears and knew that it was the best thing to do safety-wise, we try to just have a positive attitude about it and yeah. know that, like, there's bigger things going on in the world. In some cases, couples are eloping and choosing to have a reception at a later date. That's why the parlor at Man's Chapel is as busy as ever. So for ceremonies only, we can have the max capacity of the building. Here at the parlor, that's 100 people. But what we're um, considering right now is only having events, ceremonies inside at 50. So we just want people to be safe and take it slow. But when receptions are canceled, other companies are hurting, like Catering Works. They've had 100 canceled events since March. Catering companies are not included in Governor Cooper's Phase 2 plan which is causing some confusion. We've always been held to the same standards, the same health guidelines as restaurants. So for us not to be able not to be included in phase two to go into a venue 
and work at 50%. If it's, if it's a venue that holds 300 people, then can we seat 150 people at six feet apart, social distancing, um, you know, with those same permits that we've always had. That was Leslie Moreno reporting. She says Catering Works is hoping they're part of Governor Cooper's phase three plan. Meantime, they are working with the staff to put the best policies in place for when they eventually can get back to work. Well, for the most part, the president and Governor Cooper have avoided direct jabs over the course of the pandemic. Not anymore. The president's threat to pull the RNC out of North Carolina. We're going to talk with Meredith College political science professor David McLennan about this move and if it's even possible this late in the game. We're also looking at a real estate trend. Renters turning into buyers following the pandemic. The trends here in North Carolina, Central North Carolina, next on our news at 7. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRAL News. It is projected to be one of the biggest economic drivers for the state of North Carolina this year. And this morning, the president threatened to move it elsewhere. We are less than 100 days from the Republican National Convention in Charlotte. The president calling out Governor Cooper on Twitter this morning, pointing to North Carolina still being in shutdown mode. The president saying Republicans must immediately be given an answer by the governor as to whether the space will be allowed to be fully occupied. If not, he says the Republicans will be forced to find another convention site. There's a lot at play here with a lot of players, North Carolina's Republicans, Democratic Governor Cooper, Charlotte's Democratic Mayor, and the Republican National Convention. Here's how some of them responded, beginning with the governor. Dory McMillan, a spokesperson for Governor Cooper, says North Carolina is relying on data and science to protect our state's public health and safety. Charlotte's mayor, also a Democrat, says the science and data will ultimately determine what, will, what we will collectively do for our city. She also says Charlotte has been in constant communication with the governor's office and state health officials. A spokesperson for the Republican National Committee saying, quote, the RNC wants to hold a full in-person convention in Charlotte, but we need the governor to provide assurances that it can occur. We will need some answers sooner rather than later, or we will be forced to consider other options. David McLennan, political science professor at Meredith College, joining us now to talk more about this. Professor, thanks for talking with us. First off, before we even get to the logistics, this president is known to say a lot rhetorically on Twitter that's not always reality. Is that what he was doing today or is this a real threat? Well, part of the president's strategy is to shift the um, people's perceptions away from the public health crisis onto something else. I mean, he spent the weekend not only attacking North Carolina and Governor Cooper, but Michigan Governor Whitmer about uh, mail-in votes. So anything to get the public's attention away from the fact that we're at 100,000 deaths and climbing. So the president is very good at distraction, and I think this is part of what's going on here. All right, let's get back to logistics. Uh, three months from now, August 25th, we'll be in the second day of the convention. Given all that is at stake, all that has already been done, $50 million committed to security, how do you move something like this? And if so, where do you move it to? 
Well, I think those are two really good questions. First of all, you know, just to, to get a convention organized, planned and executed, it's not done overnight. But the second question is really important because if you look at the professional sports leagues around the country, they might not have fans going into the fall. And so how do you imagine a coliseum full of people exist, you know, going to a convention when no other big gatherings are taking place anywhere? So I think there's some really important logistical questions and some questions that, um, you know, as the governor said, may be more up to the scientists than the politicians. You know, uh, uh, David, you and I have known each other for a number of years now, and we, we acknowledge we're living in a different world. Normally, you would be in the studio talking with me. Now you're at home or maybe in your office. This is the new way of doing things in communications. What is wrong with a scale-back convention for both, both the Democrats and Republicans, even a virtual nomination? Well, for most Americans, they experience it on television anyway, and they would see it very, you know, it'd be very similar. You'd have speeches, you'd have, um, you know, balloons, you could still do all the ceremonial things. I, I think the difference is for the people who go, the delegates and the party officials. I mean, you and I have been to conventions over the past few election cycles, it is an extravaganza for the people there. And so it would be different. But for the millions of Americans who just tune in to find out who the nominee is and what mm -hmm. the nominee is going to stand for, it could easily be done virtually. It's like watching the Super Bowl and half it, the people are yelling for the team and half the t other people are booing. You know, it, uh, it, it's what happens. It is, exactly. Okay, last week I spoke with the head of the RNC. She told me they have been in constant communication with all the players, including the governor. They're prepared to have the health concerns addressed. They've hired their own doctor to consult, and they say we are moving full steam ahead. Will there be enough steam in that engine to move full steam ahead? Well, I think any organization plans for contingencies. I mean, even last week there was... There were stories going around that the RNC was planning on some kind of scaled down version, not having 50,000 people or having you know, 20,000 people in the, in the arena, but doing it on a much smaller scale. So I think they're talking about wanting to have a full-blown convention, but also planning on perhaps having a smaller, possibly you know, some virtual components mm -hmm. to, to their convention. Different times, different strategies. David McLennan, exactly. Meredith College, always good to have you and your insight. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, David. Well, staying home is causing a lot of people to reconsider their living space. And this is especially true for renters who may be tired of small apartments and are ready for an upgrade. WRAL's Mandy Mitchell shows us how more renters are becoming buyers. Grant quarters a need for a home office and maybe even a desire to take advantage of low interest rates. That's what has many apartment dwellers eyeing a house right now. It's happening a lot, a lot more. I've actually been surprised how many renters are looking to buy right now. According to data from Zillow, during the height of the pandemic, 22% of renters surveyed said they are hoping to buy a home within the next year. David Robbins is a first-time home buyer and closed on his new home in late March just in time to see the benefits. Hearing this, you know, stay at home thing, it's, it's, it's been nice. Uh, you know, I have a bonus room. I've, I've set up a dartboard and a pool table, uh, you know, where I, I could never do that in an apartment. He says interest rates are really what caused him to get it done now. That and a potential long-term recession is leading many to jump at the chance to move during the pandemic. If 
you know, there is an economic downturn. Am I going to even be able to afford a house? And with mortgage rates so low right now, what am I waiting for? Another factor that could be leading to more renters entering the market is a lack of competition that is usually present in markets like the Triangle. You might have a large share of people who had been uh, frustrated, disappointed. Uh, they lost out on previous home shopping seasons. They're looking around in this environment thinking, I can lean into these virtual tours and maybe that's my advantage. And I can actually be in a housing market that doesn't have the crazy kind of com competition because other buyers aren't returning. Taking advantage of an unusual time to make a move. Mandy Mitchell, WRL News, Raleigh. We finally got to see some sunshine to end Memorial Day, but changes are coming, so try to soak in some of the dry weather while you can. Unsettled weather will return this week, and unfortunately, it could shape up to be somewhat like last week. Things are quiet on radar for now, but we are watching this system in northern Florida right now. You can already see some rain. That is our next system to watch this week. Dangerous rip currents are really going to be one of the main concerns. Luckily, the National Hurricane Center is only giving this a 20% chance developing and that's because it continues to move north and it's going to move into high wind shear and that kind of rips the system apart. It keeps it from developing, which is good for us in some sense. This is not likely to get a name, but it is still going to bring dangerous rip currents and likely some rain. Our direction, our rip current risk at the coast tomorrow, Nags Head, the northern coast and parts of the Outer Banks, high, moderate to low elsewhere. So concerns already starting to come and we're likely to see our rip current risk increasing this week, but rain chances they stay low tomorrow. So go ahead, get your car washed tomorrow because by Thursday we're at a 70% chance of rain and we are likely to see some periods of rain at least through the start of the weekend. In Durham today, partly cloudy skies. You can see a little bit of the sunset back there in the distance. We still have a good amount of cloud cover holding on, but not the overcast skies that we woke up to. Tonight, though, we are likely going to see that overcast redevelop. So temperatures tonight only fall into the upper 50s to lower 60s. Very mild temperature-wise tonight. A cloudy start tomorrow morning, but very similar to today. We're going to start to see the clouds thin midday and then high temperatures jump into the upper 70s to lower 80s. Really a nice day tomorrow if you want to get some outdoor exercise in. Rain chances only 20% and that is mainly going to be to the southeast of the triangle. Temperatures in the upper 70s for the next couple of days, but by Wednesday, especially Wednesday night, rain and storm chances really start to climb again. Thursday, a 70% chance of some scattered showers and storms, but look at temperatures 80s again by Thursday and Friday, and it is really going to feel like summer humidity takes a drastic jump for the end of the week. And then Saturday, we've got one more day in the 80s before our cold front arrives by Sunday and Monday. We're back in the 70s with some drier weather on the way back to you. All right, Kat, thank you. And that does it for our news at seven o'clock here on WRAL. And we leave you with some of the Memorial Day moments from our area. Our next newscast is at 10 on Fox 50 and 11 here on WRAL. Have a great evening.